0: You're listening to Why We Do What We Do.
1: All right. Welcome to uh, why we do what we do. I will be your host, Abraham, and your co-host, Ryan O. We are going to be talking about a. This is kind of our first journey into this, but we're starting to. We're going to tackle a specific diagnosis right now, but maybe in a way that you are uh, is a little bit different from just describing what it is. So specifically, we're going to start by assuming that most of you who are listening to this have heard of Asperger's syndrome or Asperger syndrome and autism spectrum disorders. Okay let's actually start real quick with just talking. Uh, have you worked with individuals that have an Asperger's diagnosis, right?
0: Yeah. Not as much as people who are more like profoundly impacted by autism spectrum disorders. Okay. But I have worked with with a few and it's been, it's been a few years, man. I've been working out of that. I've been kind of sliding into more of a design role for other populations for the last like three or four years. So okay, I'm gonna be a little light on my examples. I think as a result, just so I'm comfortable, you know?
1: Sure. And so I might provide some examples myself as well. Um, I have worked with a few individuals uh, that had an Asperger's diagnosis, and I, similar to you, also worked with a lot more individuals that had an autism diagnosis. But what we're really talking about today is just understanding what happens to this uh, Asperger's diagnosis, because in case you haven't heard, in um, 2013, the Asperger's diagnosis was actually eliminated from the... Uh, the overall system of, of diagnoses that exist it no longer is uh, exists in that realm, at least in the United States. And I'll get to that.
0: So a lot of diagnoses have a really slow kind of process of being kind of like described, talked about before they're kind of like turned into an official diagnosis, right? Yeah. So you actually captured some of this history I want to cover real quick. And that was, there was a, it was named after a pediatrician, Hans Osberger in 1944 who was describing children he'd worked with as lacking social referencing skills, delayed language, as well as some clumsiness.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he sort of described him as being not very well coordinated. So this was quite a ways back in 1944, and he didn't actually call it Asperger syndrome at the time. That, coi- that term was later coined in uh, 1981, um, or was officially described in 1981. Uh, it's credited to uh, Dr. Lorna Wing. And so she was really the first one to say, to describe this set of characteristics as Asperger's syndrome. So that was pretty late. Like that's, you know, almost that's 37 years later that she did that uh, where it was officially published. And, you know, presumably people had that description leading up to that publication, but that's where it's first credited to.
0: And it wasn't even officially added to the American Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders or the DSM for short until the fourth edition of the dsm which was released in 1994.
1: Yeah and so and most of these editions come with like a revision at some point and, but we're not going to get into that. But yeah, so it wasn't until 1984. So now we're talking about, it's been 50 years since this was described by uh, Hans Osberger and uh, 13 years since it was officially described by Dr. Lorna Wing. And it does finally show up in this, uh, the American version of this DSM. And there uh, a lot of other countries have their own version of a diagnostic manual that lists what they consider to be mental health disorders. And the DSM is really the American one. So that's the one that I'm going to be referencing the most. Um, because this is the one, this is where the controversy occurred. So I'm just describing the events that sort of led up to this. Yeah. And so
0: like many disorders, autism spectrum disorder included... Um, as well as Asperger's syndrome, was, it, it's classified by a pattern of behaviors, right? So there's not a single behavior.
1: Yeah, that's the case for all, all diagnoses is that it's never just a single thing. Um, it's really more of a pattern. And especially for these types of disorders, autism, Asperger's, there was a pervasive developmental disorder and some other ones. And these have a really broad spectrum of things that they could look like. And that's uh, why it's referred to as a spectrum of disorders is because the way that it's characterized is just very different across a lot of different individuals and there's never just one thing that happens where you can point to one behavior and say that this is going to be autism. And now I say that every one of them have patterns of multiple multiple behaviors. While that's true, it is worth pointing out that some diagnoses are relatively restricted to a small number of behaviors that fit inside of a pattern.
0: Yeah. So can you describe some of those?
1: Yeah. So I'll just go over the actual, uh, the diagnostic criteria for Asperger's syndrome, as it existed in that original DSM, uh, the DSM that was published in 1994, the fourth edition. Okay. The diagnostic criteria were that there was an impairment in social interactions and that this was manifested by failing to show emotional social reciprocity. So they weren't really demonstrating that appropriate reactions to social situations. Uh, They also failed to develop relationships that were meaningful with other people and then uh, really failure to develop the sort of nonverbal communication in terms of gestures and body language uh, that it is that we sort of adopt in our in our common culture and that in addition to all of those things that the level of impairment must be significant enough that it is clinically significant based on the fact that it affects how well they can function in sort of a normal society the next one So yeah, that was only one. Was this impairment in their social interactions? The next one is that they had stereotyped behaviors. And so this is a kind of uh, weird one that sounds weird because we're used to the word stereotype as meaning how we sort of generalize people into a single category. But this actually means something different. In this particular disorder, stereotyped behaviors refers to these repetitive restrictive actions. And so what this can look like is um, hand flapping, which is actually kind of hard to do. I've learned how to do it just because I wanted to see how to, Um, but it's a little bit difficult. Uh, There's a lot of self-stimulatory behaviors, so things like kids will dangle shiny things next to their eyes is a common one, or they'll cover their ears because it creates an
0: echo. I worked with a kid that would press his eyes in certain ways with his Uh, knuckles. Another another student would uh, tap his forehead Mm -hmm. and just to kind of paint the picture he tapped his forehead to the extent that it kind of created this like thick leather-like patch over his forehead about a four by four inch square
1: yeah yeah wow that's really intense actually did meet a kid that I worked with who was only about five years old at the time and he had a stereotyped uh, behavior pattern of rocking back and forth so much that he had just these like chiseled six pack abs at like five years old because he was essentially doing like 20,000 crunches a day on sort of a, a minor level. He just had this crazy well-developed stomach, um, from this, this pattern. So, uh, yeah, most of these behavior patterns, they're pretty intense and often sort of an extreme level of something. And so sometimes it's something that looks weird, like these gestures and stuff. Um, and sometimes it's something that looks common, but done to an extreme degree. And another one is being stuck on or perseverating on single topics. So um, I worked with a kid at a center that I was at who had, an, at the time, an Asperger's di- syndrome diagnosis, and he would always want to talk about um, the American presidents. He knew the everything about them. He knew where they were born, the date they were born, when they were elected, just knew tons and tons of information. Um, but he was really, really stuck on this one topic. He didn't want to talk about anything else. He didn't want to uh, ever change the topic. He didn't want to be focused on other school things. He just always wanted to talk about the American presidents. Another one that uh, you can see is uh, kids will get really stuck on, not necessarily topics, but on physical objects. And so uh, kids that will line up blocks in a very particular pattern of, or they'll, you know, they'll stack them in a way. Um, I work with a kid right now who he really, really just like stacking markers <laughs> and, until they fall over and then just giggles it when they fall. Uh, but he'll just do this over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. So it's, I don't know if now's the right time, but it's interesting how like we're categorizing these things because we can stack Legos all day and that's okay. Right. Yeah.
1: That's a great point. Yeah. Or a carpenter stacking bricks and they're building a house hmm. It's if you just look at the activity of doing the same thing over and over and over again, in some cases is functional. In that case, you know, it's their job. In some cases is totally not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that highlights just like the it needs to impact the quality of your life is kind of the idea. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that that is where it comes. To the idea of uh, it's clinically significant is that it is at some point interfering with having access to a. a I guess a richer sort of life experience because let's say for example, you spend all your time fixated on this one thing that you're doing and then you fail to acquire other academic skills. Then it's going to be really tough for you to be successful in school and go on to other education and maybe get a job that allows you to be more independent. And you know, that might be fine for some people. I can't, I'm not necessarily going to judge their life as being not meaningful, but the whole point is that you're not reducing their opportunity. And if you don't try and help them at least have the opportunity to be successful in those areas, then uh, then you're really kind of doing them a disservice because like they get stuck in those things. That's not necessarily, that's not at all. I gonna say not necessarily, but it's not at all their fault. And we have the the opportunity to help them be successful and at least have the opportunity. So moving on. So that was only two of the diagnostic criteria I've talked about. I'm just going to go through the last two and then describe them in more detail. So, Different from um, Han's first description of the official U.S. diagnostic criteria for Asperger's syndrome is that it must not be accompanied by delays in language or cognitive abilities. Originally, when he described it, that wasn't part of it, but that was added later, um, that in order for it to be described as Asperger's, it should not have a delay in language. And then finally then this is just standard among most mental health disorders. It qualifies for an Asperger's diagnosis if it's not more readily described by another diagnosis. And so just going back to this one about language, this is a, a very common thing inside of a lot of autism spectrum disorders is a delay in language development. And even in some of the kids with Asperger's syndrome that I worked with, It wasn't that there was a delay necessarily, but they often had improper grammar or sort of like speech impediments or articulation problems that were accompanied with them. But they still they were developing language otherwise at a normal rate. They were having a lot of words. They were able to communicate effectively with people. But there there were things you could still notice in some of the way that they were speaking and using the language.
0: All right. So that's our definition
1: yeah well and that's going through like how it's diagnosed and yeah. how it's described by the the dsm at least it was at the at the time and i have actually brought with me not that anyone can see but i have uh, yeah. the older dsm where uh there is an asperger's diagnosis in it and then the more recent dsm where it's been removed but uh okay so we've described sort of what it is and uh, everyone always wants to know what's the cause and uh, you know it's, i guess it's definitely unknown yeah right? unfortunately nobody knows
0: there is believed to be at least partially some sort of genetic component, though.
1: Right. It seems to be rooted at least in some way with respect to their neurology and how the neurology developed, which means that there is some genetic component. Nobody really knows what that is. There have been a, a few genetic patterns that have been associated with some of those patterns of behaviors as well, but it's just it's not very concrete and no one has any solid ideas. You can't like look at an infant and uh, sequence its genome and then be able to really discover like this kid definitely has Asperger's or an autism diagnosis um, that that just doesn't exist yet. And it may may not ever exist because we don't fully understand uh, this disorder all the way. And it might be that things that we call autism or Asperger's or something else are actually just very distinct events, but they look similar.
0: So, okay. So question for you. Sure. Um, There are some popular culture things that have maybe suggest this is close to savantism or it includes these like savant-like characteristics, but you didn't describe any of that sort of stuff in the diagnostic criteria.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So savantism refers to this idea of someone who has An extremely high skill Or competency In some particular area So um, They might Get extremely good At math Or painting Or reading Or puzzles Or Describing the parts Of a train Or knowing all the facts About the president And so they they reach a level of competency in a particular area that's far beyond that, that you would expect from your, your sort of average Joe and even sometimes beyond what might be even considered an expert level. Like they just kind of know everything. And so that's the idea of this savantism. And I guess a similar ideas around like child prodigies as well. There are some people that were diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome that display these, um, the savantism and, but it's diff It's worth looking at what are the actual rates of that. And so uh, one article, estimate that I was reading estimated that uh, 10% of people with ASD would be described as savants. And which is to say that 90% of the people who would be diagnosed with ASD are not savants. 1% of the general population of people are described as savants or maybe those prodigies. That's so just in general. Like yeah. 1% of the population. Yeah. So it's basically saying 10% of the uh, autism spectrum disorders and then 1% of the general population. Interesting. Yeah. And so what, what that sort of speaks to is because it's only 10%, which is n- not a whole lot. I mean, it's, it's higher than the general population is that the savantism itself isn't necessarily attributable to that diagnosis. It, for example, it could be the case that a savant individual is so focused on developing the skill that they're really interested in, that they actually fail to develop those other skills. And so they might merit that diagnosis by virtue of like, if they don't interact with other people, they might lack some of those social skills that would normally be developed under sort of typical circumstances. Uh, it's also possible that savantism is its own kind of behavior pattern. And it happens to share some of the similarities with autism and Asperger's syndrome. It could be the case that many Asperger's syndrome individuals could demonstrate the savantism, but they never really f- find that activity that, uh, it their interest. So it would capture that. And so we just really can't say, but if savantism was inherent to the diagnosis of Asperger's, you would really expect those numbers to be practically flipped. Like it should be 90% of those people or just a significant proportion of those people have it, but 10% so small, it's hard to say what's the actual relation there. So
0: in 2013, the DSM-5 came out with a lot of controversy.
1: Yeah, so every time another issue comes out, there's a lot of people who have some disagreements about what changed. But uh, so this, this is just the main event that we've been leading up to this whole time is what happened to Asperger's syndrome. And so as you mentioned... In 2013, they specifically removed the Asperger syndrome diagnosis and every other subtype of autism diagnosis that existed at the time. And what they did is they collapsed them all into a single category that they decided to just call autism spectrum disorders. And so, as you pointed out, this got a lot of people riled up. Essentially, the change that occurred in 2013 was that the that diagnostic criteria for Asperger's as and autism spectrum disorder removed the language and cognitive impairment part of the diagnosis and uh, said just generally there was a deficit in skills related to things like social reciprocity, Uh, the stereotype behavior pattern is another common one, and instead recommend in the diagnosis when a child receives a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder that, that includes a specification about whether or not some other impairment was present in that individual such as a language delay or a cognitive delay.
0: So I was looking into some different resources out there for like parents, uh, clinicians trying to understand like why these changes occurred. And at one point, the DSM-5 revision website listed a couple of reasons as to why this umbrella term of autism spectrum disorders was kind of being used instead. And the first one was that the, the old way wasn't precise enough and they, they cite or suggest that there was a lot of different clinicians or doctors that were diagnosing the same person with different disorders. And even if you had those same symptoms, you can come in and receive different disorders from like year to year. Really interesting. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. And then the other one was that autism, it was claimed that autism is defined by a common set of behaviors and it should be characterized by a single name according to severity, which is what they ended up revising on.
1: Right? Yeah. To specify those like, I guess deficits were present. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was the suggestion, um, on the DSM five revision website at one point. And I haven't checked to see if it's still there, but, there's a lot of controversy around this, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So we'll start with those people who recommend making the change to removing the Asperger's syndrome diagnosis from the DSM and what their rationale is. And then I'll talk about the people who argue for it to stay the same. And that way we just sort of do an overall coverage of, of what the two sides are really saying. Yeah. So we
0: kinda, we kind of hit the first one on this disagreement in the diagnostic criteria, right? And like the fact that people are diagnosing differently off of this definition.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, a lot of different people who were experts in this field couldn't necessarily agree on how to categorize it and how to uh, set up uh, evaluations to determine whether or not it should, you know, it met a particular uh, set of characteristics to to reach that diagnosis. Another one was there was this disagreement regarding whether or not there was really a clinical difference in making this distinction between Asperger's and autism and per- pervasive developmental disorders because regardless of the type of diagnosis that you give it, the type of treatment doesn't necessarily change because it doesn't necessarily tell you what things need to be worked on for that individual because everybody is unique and they show up in their own um, specific way.
0: So another reason you might change uh, to this new diagnostic or criteria was that tests for this were notoriously difficult to conduct and often result in invalid, inconsistent diagnoses. So, really trying to attempt and make this distinction could take a really long time, sometimes years and actually be pretty traumatic for a family, right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, families are waiting to get services and it's so difficult to determine whether or not it was an autism or Asperger's or something else that they would try and do all these different tests and, and parse that out. And in that time before they could receive a diagnosis, they wouldn't qualify for any treatment or at, le- at least no funding through their insurance companies to get treatment for their child. And so that's a long time to have to wait for nothing, you know, where you don't really know what's going to happen or what you're going to get. And maybe you will get a diagnosis. That means that you won't be able to receive any kind of services. Yeah, for your child. And those
0: are such prime years. And that's actually been shown in the research, right? Like yeah. Those beginning years are so important.
1: Yeah, that's why those the model really stresses the importance of catch it as early as possible and intervene right away. Um, because the longer this goes, the more difficult it is to sort of remediate the effects of this with therapy and, and so on. So another reason that people suggest that it's important to just sort of collapse these down is that there's this idea that if it's misdiagnosed, it could lead to interventions that actually make the behavior worse, such as incorrect prescriptions and uh, incorrect sort of therapies that don't necessarily work for that individual, but I think that's kind of a weird one just because I'm not sure how if you collapse it, that'd make it any less likely. If an individual is showing up in one particular way, you just say autism spectrum disorders where that would have been different from just saying it was Asperger's or autism before. I don't know. It just seems like that one's maybe not the strongest one.
0: Yeah. And many professionals also view this as like a quote, mild or quote, less severe form of autism and emphasizing the quotes there for anyone that's listening that's been impacted or had a little one impacted by this. Um, But the idea is that it shares many similarities with autism, right? Yeah. So some of the things we described, like the stereotypical behavior, right? Totally correlates. Some of the social, how do I describe that?
1: It's like a lack of developing meaningful relationships with other people, a lack of awareness around cultural and social norms of behavior, um, insensitivity to people where things like emotional events. So there might be... At a funeral or something, they might just not get it at all. A lot of them are described as being really, really self-centered. So it's just whatever is important to me right now is the only thing that's important in the universe. And so that looks, you know, very insensitive to what's going on in the broader social context. And that's all things that also exist for autism. Um, That's very, very common inside of like autistic disorders. The last one that they described that I found, and there are probably some others as well, but it's this fact that diagnostic labels and culture, they change over time. They evolve and they shift and they're kind of fluid and they're not necessarily all that static. And so how we interpret these behavior patterns and how we interpret these symptoms and how they manifest That interpretation can change with more experience and with more information and with more exposure and all these things influence how, how people sort of regard those things. And on top of that, technology and the culture changes, which means that how those things manifest will also be a little bit different. So, for example, 15 years ago, there weren't iPads, but now that's like the... Favorite toy of every child on the planet, um, and that is that holds true as well for individuals who have one of these diagnoses. And so they might now have new types of that stereotype behavior, where they become incredibly fixated on one thing. That's a video game that's on the iPad. Well, that wouldn't have been available 20 years ago. So there was no way that 20 years ago people could have looked at that and said that this is a part of that diagnosis. It would have shown up in a very different way for that individual those kind of things just, they, they make it so that the way that this appears to people changes over time. And that can be really complicated for um, both the families and the individuals.
0: All right. So we covered that angle, right? Yeah. So So why, why should this stay the same? Like, why should we not drop this or change this?
1: Alright, so one of the reasons that uh, families or individuals really argue that the Asperger's syndrome diagnosis should stay the same is that there's some concern that those children who are kind of mildly affected by some of these syndromes, or at least not nearly as severe as some of the other children are, they might not receive a diagnosis at all because they're, quote, not autistic enough end quote. And so they actually maybe miss an opportunity for the appropriate treatment or intervention that is really necessary. And I think, you know, there's an empirical question. We can see, are there kids who are now getting missed by this diagnosis because the spectrum seems like it should only target people who are more severely impacted. And so there's kids who like aren't getting a diagnosis when they should get it. I'm actually not sure, but that is You know one argument that the the side makes
0: so another angle is perhaps one person has both of these disorders right autism spectrum disorders and asperger's Mm -hmm. an argument is like a treatment of package would only be partially effective because they only treat part of the problem
1: right so if you're looking at this and you say this is autism spectrum disorders and ignore maybe some other element of the disorder that you then put in this treatment, but it doesn't work all the way because you are missing some critical part of it Yeah. And so that they need to be distinct so that you can make sure you're hitting all the relevant components. And for
0: me that would make sense, but if it was collapsed correctly, then perhaps that wouldn't be an issue, right?
1: Yeah. If, especially if it goes after targeting, you know, not necessarily, this is the labels important thing, but as it says in the new diagnosis, uh, specifying what are the deficits for the individual. I'm not sure whether or not that would still continue to be a part of that problem, but I mean, I can still, I can still see this argument as, you know, being a legitimate concern about this. Another one, and this isn't necessarily an argument for why it should stay the same, but they argue that it should stay the same and that to do so, they just need to refine that that, that diagnostic criteria so that it really is not so difficult to diagnose is one of the major problems it was having before is it was, you know, inconsistent diagnosis. So they were saying like, okay, well, that's fine, but this is still its own separate disorder. Let's just try and zoom in a little bit and really find those critical features of this. We can keep the same uh, diagnosis and just refine the criteria for it. And then those things can maintain their distinction. Um, and we can, you know, still continue to help that community.
0: So another one that comes up is that there's, and this, this happens after, you know, the 19 years or whatever it was in place. Yeah. Officially not even before it was being talked about before then, is that there's a large and vocal community of families of people with Asperger's syndrome. I mean, people like identify themselves off of this, right? Yeah. Like Temple Grandin.
1: Yeah. And uh, if you heard the term, um, some parents like to call their kids Aspies <laughs> if they have the, the Asperger syndrome. And so, yeah, this became a sort of a source of identity. And so in a way, it really felt like this was impacting those who identified strongly with that diagnosis. And by taking that diagnosis away, it was just saying like your identity is illegitimate. It doesn't really belong. You're just a part of this other group over here. And that was difficult for families and individuals that are are, uh, impacted by this to, to hear that and just say like, what are you doing? Like, you're not, you have no say in my life. Um, I disagree, you know, and, uh, but they don't really have a voice in that. I guess I, I can also understand that perspective of just feeling like, Once you have established this identity of like, okay, this is who I am, or your family has had that identity. And then that just sort of gets changed. And everyone's like, well, we were wrong. Sorry, it's gone now. um, That that can be difficult to sort of to hear and also then to want to support say like, no, like, I'm not on board with this. This is just not how it is. So some have actually suggested that there are really dozens of different types of Asperger's syndrome. And so that really begs the question, if there are these other types, then does there need to be like a subtype of Asperger's and then dozens of subtypes underneath theirs? Because what would end up happening is eventually you get to this this end where every single person that could possibly have this diagnosis just has their own classification because everybody's unique in their own way. And that's not to, to take away from the arguments that, that have been made so far. Um, and actually, you know, I think that they're very legitimate, but this idea of like, we just need to, you know, you could break it down further and further and further. And so, you know, some people feel that um, although some people do feel that uh, removing the Asperger syndrome diagnosis would sort of eliminate the identity of those people who really didn't feel like they met the criteria for autism spectrum disorders, but did meet that criteria for Asperger's, there, there actually have been specific people who have that diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome who have come out and said, hey, my identity is linked with this autism spectrum disorders, um, and autism in general. And so I don't care if I have it. So that's another thing that's a little bit difficult about this is that some people feel strongly about this one way. And then other people who are a part of the exact same community feel very strongly about this in the other way and for almost the same reason, but in opposite directions. So, I don't know. It's, it's I think, a really tricky thing. So that was essentially the, the event as it took place um, and, you know, what the both sides of it were. And so the next question to ask is sort of, what happened? So in 2013, this just happened, there was the official system. And I think it's worth asking, you know, what happened to those people who already had an autism spectrum disorder once this diagnosis was changed? What actually came out of this uh, from the American Psychological Association is that those that had that Asperger syndrome diagnosis were supposed to be re-diagnosed with Autism Spectrum Disorder, and that was according to this new DSM. And also, in addition to that, no new patients after 2013, after the publication of that diagnostic manual, will receive an Asperger syndrome diagnosis. Now, of course, there are probably going to be some people who choose to retain that label. Um, Even doctors may choose to continue to uh, record Asperger's syndrome as the diagnosis. But that is complicated by the fact that uh, health insurance companies may not accept billing for services for children with that that disorder because it's not recognized by the American Psychological Association. So the overall response from the majority of the community has been just accepting this change. And I think that you know, I, I don't really have a personal stake in this. I don't know. Do you feel strongly about this either way?
0: Uh, I don't outside of like anytime it disrupts services that are needed, my heart kind of breaks. Yeah. So totally. that's where I know there's disruption and a change like this. Sure. So that's where I do care on like the micro level. Yeah. The macro level, it's a whole different story with Diagnoses—they're tricky in general. You know, you see these things happen, like you see changes all the time, and it impacts. Like we need to solve the macro level someday, but I don't think it's a conversation for here. Nor do I have an answer.
1: <laughs> That's fair. No, I agree. I think that that makes that makes perfect sense. Is that you know this will end up being a thing that happened in history, and eventually you know we'll kind of move on with it, and we'll look back on it and have whatever thoughts that were the fallout of this. It's only been four years, which isn't really that long a period of time in terms of the movement of research and especially the DSM because they don't come out all that often.
0: I mean, you can petition these sort of things. Large organizations can help, but there's also not a lot you can do at an individual level sometimes to influence this stuff. I mean, you you can, but it's kind of, I mean, like you kind of have to accept it when it's kind of rolling out, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is what it is, and I'm not, you know, saying that people shouldn't, if they are really concerned about this, I'm not saying that they shouldn't try and do something about it. Just yeah. saying that that's that's been sort of what has happened so far. So,
0: okay, so let's time wrap it for up. Some take homes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. First one I have: heard, diagnoses in general are not prescribed reliably, and it's a much larger issue than just in Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorders. Right. And it's something I'd love to be able to. T- Kind of tackle a little bit more sometime.
1: Yeah, I think that we should uh, just diving into what the DSM is and sort of its history, I think would be a a pretty useful show. Be pretty historically oriented, but
0: it's a blatant issue that like prescribing reliably has been an issue. Um, It's difficult. It's not just with this. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: very true. And I get that it's
0: a tough problem to solve.
1: Yeah, and so I think as much as I see the need for having the label, um, everyone is their own person. As I was saying, like everyone's an individual and everyone has their own unique history and their own unique learning experiences and their, their own unique circumstances. And so these systems are meant to be, they're meant to be categories. And, trying to group things that are individuals into these categories is always going to cause some issues. Most times when people
0: are kind of asking me about autism spectrum disorders, Asperger's syndrome is like my history of working with that population is like, they're, they're asking like, what's it like? I'm like, well, like that's always different. Like you, those things that you just described of different individual histories and whatnot, like that's how you need to approach someone. Sure. And at the end of the day, it's really no different than how I'd I mean, it's different in the sense of how you're going to help somebody and treat them, but initial like meet and greet and how you're going to say hi to someone. You know what I mean? Like it's all the same things, right? True. You're treating them as an individual like you would anybody else. So that is like, you can look at somebody for what they can do, can't do, what they want to do, what they don't want to do, what they aspire to
1: be, et cetera, all
0: those different things. Um, just like we would anybody else.
1: So, And we try and help them in that way, regardless of what, what kind of label they have.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Thank you for finishing that. A couple other things to kind of take home is that there's real changes that do happen when these these uh changes occur in the diagnostic manual like services are lost identities could be confused right yeah. and then savantism really isn't exclusive to asperger's there is a little bit of an increase in the prevalence that we see right mm-hmm. um but that's a also i think a misconception sometimes that i'd like to slightly debunk at least outside of that 10 times difference for the general population.
1: Yeah, I had an uncle once who, when I told him what I did for a living, working with uh, children with autism disorders and um, other intellectual disabilities, and he then proceeded to tell me, which keep in mind, he's not a psychologist, he's never worked in the field, and he doesn't have any contact at all with the scientific literature, that, oh, they're just people who are really intelligent and misunderstood. Like, okay, well, you're describing a savant and, um, that makes up a relatively small proportion of the population, but I don't know. It's just, it's kind of funny. I think how people are about that sometimes. Yeah. All right. I hope that we have answered the question you may have had about what happened to autism spectrum disorders for those of you who had it.
0: Asperger's syndrome.
1: That's what I meant to say. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to Asperger's syndrome? Man, it's been too long. All right. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that, uh, that, 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 Worked for you.
0: So, uh, that was Abraham, and this is Ryan O. We are out. Signing off. Peace.
2: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash Podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at ww.wd podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to com. There you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why we do what we do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Broussier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.